Hey, this is Jeff Pilson, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy. Hey, Metalheads, welcome to yet another episode of our Strange Highways series. Hi, it's Richie here. Uh, seven. Is one it seven? More, one more to go. I've lost count. Yeah, we, we won't <laughs> be saying welcome to another episode. We've only, we can only say it once more. Wow, I'm losing count. But yeah, so interesting one this week. Uh, Richie got uh, hold of Jonathan and Frank from Atomic Opera to come on, talk about them touring with Dio in the uh, during the American leg of the tour. And as I had said, I think last week on the show, that um, we actually did this interview like August first of 2013. Yeah, so. and it took a little while to schedule. So I'd been I'd been going going back and forth with Frank for uh, probably maybe two months before that. Yeah, and um, he actually offered to get Jonathan on, mm. which was great because I, I would have. Like for, even for Frank to come on, like yeah. to get everyone on was great, but yeah. for him to offer to get someone else to come on, yeah, it was fantastic. And um, I didn't know anything about the band. Mm. Uh, I only first heard of the band when uh, I looked up who Dio toured with uh-huh. on the Strange Highways in the US leg. Yeah, I'd never heard him. I'd never seen an interview with him. I'd never heard an interview with him. Yeah, so I, I didn't know what to expect from them. Yeah. Um, and then when I bought the CD, Sam Taylor, of course, produced it. I was mm-hmm. thinking, okay, these guys are going to be Christian rock, yeah. Christian rock band. And I was part of me was thinking, I wonder what sort of an interview we're going to get from these guys. Yeah. Okay, are they going to be deadly serious or are they just going to be completely the opposite and just do things unexpected? Yeah. That you know, do unexpected things that I I, I just didn't think it come out and uh-huh. very funny. They, they were. I Very mean, even, funny. even the front part of us just talking before we actually started the interview, you can tell right off the bat that this was, these guys were just very kind of low key, really, you know, down to earth guys, liked having fun. And the other thing that was really impressive, you know, and it just kind of hit me again going back and editing all the, the uh, audio again was the fact of how, like, much of a pair of friends these guys are. Like, they're bandmates, and all throughout the years, they're still, like, you know, have great fun together and stuff, and it just really shows. Just even in the interview. Yeah, well, well, a lot of things you f- you you find with bands when they start, they have all these aspirations of grandness, and everything's going to be fantastic. Yeah, and of course, when that doesn't happen, they all end up hating each other. Yeah, yeah. So this was a nice a nice yeah. thing to see that here's a band that came out in I think it was ninety three, ninety four, and the From Madman Only album came out. And it didn't set the world on fire. It's a great album. Yeah. Um, and they still remain friends, yeah. which which is nice to see. Yeah. No, it, it was it was cool. And like I said, great interview. It had a lot of fun with these guys, a lot of laughs. Uh, definitely like telling some stories and stuff. And um, no bitterness, nothing like that. It's, nope. You know, just really good guys. Yeah, they had some great stories about Ronnie, but the stories about the them on yeah. that tour are yeah. very funny as yeah. well. Because... Uh, if you think touring life is glamorous, wait yeah. until you hear some of the things that <laughs> happened on this tour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So definitely, I mean, good job getting getting a hold of these guys. And, you know, I mean, it has been since a year since we talked to them. Part of this is, of course, we got all this stuff as much as possible on the front end. Yeah. And then it just took a while to get through it all and you have things come up so it was kind of a nice you know space but i look back and think holy crap like it's been a year since we've talked to these guys and yet we still have one more yeah show to go that that wasn't done a year ago no it wasn't no that was done two months ago that was kind of your like ah that's your added wish list to be cool and then it happened to just fall in place yes great yeah so um yeah, so I think, you know, another another good episode. These guys definitely were, were good. You know, you listen to them, and right off the bat, I can tell, yeah, Richie's right up your alley because it is such a similarity to, like, King's X with a lot of the sound definitely. And, and the cording and stuff like that. And, and uh, so it's, it is pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, every time I listen to different songs that they're doing, it's it's like, yeah, I can see, like, Richie's all over this well, stuff. Well, they have the heaviness yeah. and the harmonies. Yeah. And... It just didn't happen for them. I think they were maybe a little bit too late. But then King's X, well, I don't know why they didn't blow up either. So I, maybe well, they're... When he talks about in the interview, too, the fact that they had the contract and then, you know, that whole label got bought up and yeah. changeovers. And I think a lot of it was probably more not timing, but all the, the changeovers in the industry that kind of, you know, everyone that was supporting them all got canned and they were kind of left on their own. So Isn't, isn't it amazing how often that happens? Yeah. How many band band members have you read about or have we spoken to yeah. that they, they get signed, they think, right, everything's going to be great now, and then the guy that signed them leaves or gets yeah. to another job or he gets fired, and then they, yeah. they have nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's pretty common. And he does talk a little bit in the interview, too, about you know what happened after that and possibilities and, and things, and he's kind of looking back and saying, oh, maybe I should have done this, maybe done that. But... Altogether, still, I mean, not bitter guys at all. And also for, you know, because like you talked about not knowing what to expect with the interview, that, yeah, these guys do have a good sense of humor. Even the fact that, you know, they have an album, I think it's probably their most recent one that was all back a few years ago, called Gospel Cola. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, so I think they really do have a, a sense of humor about some of it as well. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so I think um, we'll just... Roll our talk with uh, with Frank and, and Jonathan of Atomic Opera on this, the second to last episode of the Strange Highways Project. So, uh, you know, Richie and his ever-widening quest to get every possible person involved in the Strange Highways album. I think the only person he's missed has been the caterer and maybe the guy that swept the stage in Cleveland. He's next Um, week. (laughs) God damn. (laughs) We've got the guys that spent a good deal of time on the road on the Strange Highways tour in the U.S., and that's a band known as Atomic Opera. We've got a couple of the guys from the band on with us tonight, and that would be uh, Frank and Jonathan. So how are we doing tonight? Doing great, man. Thanks for having us on. Thought we could uh, get this all hooked up. So Richie's on, you know, been anxious to talk to you guys as well. So, of course, the, the 
first big question is, uh, you know, how'd you guys get hooked up onto the tour? Well, um, I, I think it really just it had to do with um, albums coming out and timing, and uh, you know, probably uh, um, our management knew knew somebody over there. Um, I, I I have a voice maybe that people thought, well, he he sings like he's screaming all the time. Maybe they should go out with Dio. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, he's got a bombastic, stupid voice. Maybe they should go out with that guy. Um, but they were trying to get us to go out with Soundgarden before that, so I'm pretty sure that was part of the deal. Let's get all the guys with the goofy, bombastic voices, you know, together on the stage. Wow, it's a trend there. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a pretty good fit, though, because you know, obviously, Dio's sound had changed with Strange Highways, and I thought that you know the sound that you guys had and the sound that, that he was going for was actually a pretty good fit. That was a great record. Um, you know, they, they played most of the tracks on that record every night. And uh, it was it was a fun album to listen to every night. Yeah. So, can you tell us the first time um, you met Ronnie? Like, what, did it, did he talk to you for a long time and about the tour and what, what what you guys were going to be, how long you had and what you were going to be doing? Yeah, I think he did, he came out um, when we were doing sound check on the first night and was just friendly. Mm -hmm. and he was always super sweet, super friendly. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, people have never said that about me. <laughs> Do you think that that was, you know, a, a, a pretty good tour to, to get on? Was it, you know, a pretty uh, pretty good deal for you guys? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I um, my, my favorite Sabbath is the stuff where, where Dio's singing, like Heaven and Hell. Um, I, I love that track. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the thought that we were going to be able to... Also, um, one, of the first, one of the first times that I met um, Ronnie, we were... Um, we actually bumped into him at a mall. Uh, we, we were just, both of us, uh, both bands were just kind of killing time at a mall, and we bumped into each other at, at a mall, and and I asked, and he asked me, he, he, he said, hey, is there any song that you would want us to play? So he was asking us, as the opening band, because we said we were fans and whatnot, he said, is there is there any song that you'd like us to play at the show tonight? And, and I told him that I wanted him to play Mask of the Great Deceiver from... Uh, which is a track that he did on a Carrie Livgren album. <laughs> and and he, he was kind of amazed that I'd heard of that and said that his band hadn't learned that tune yet. <laughs> Slouches that they are. Wow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Kansas would have learned that one either, so you know, I guess it's, it's equal. Great song, though. So um, as far as uh, you know, production and stuff, did you guys get full sound lights, the whole, the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, they were absolutely kind to us um, every night. They they uh, they actually it's uncommon, but they they would have their monitor guy run our show because we weren't carrying um, any stage support. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I know that you know it's always been this thing about a lot of times bands go out in the opening band. You know, they get half the lights and half the sound and all that. But there's always been these stories that you know Ronnie never did that to the opening bands that he kind of let them have whatever they needed. So that's pretty cool. He did whenever he could. When we played House of Blues in L.A., um, their their show completely covered the back line and all of the backstage entrances. There was no way for us to get our gear on and off the stage using the, the stage entrances. So we had to act, we set up um, by carrying our gear across the, uh, the concert floor, which was fine. But then when the house was packed out that night, we played our set and we had to remove our gear through the people. <laughs> Wasn't there like a stabbing there that night? And, and there was a stabbing there that night. And, and what I remember is that there was a guy who was asking our bass player if he could help carry his amp. 
And, you know, Jonas was a, was a little nervous about someone carrying his gear. He thought it would go out the door and never be seen again. So he, he said no. And then we find out later that guy that asked him if he could carry his amp stabbed someone. <laughs> so it, it was it was crazy. It was mayhem. And, and I know this for, I mean, I, I was videotaping the stabbing, actually. We were standing out front loading up our trailer, and I was videotaping the stabbing with my um, Sony Handycam, and security came over and took the tape from me. So doesn't Massachusetts have a law about that? The Good Samaritan law or something? Where <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a sign bill that I should have stopped that. the stabbing. <laughs> oh man, I I just can't. I mean, I've carried my gear out off a of stage through like a club crowd before. I just can't imagine having to carry my gear off a of stage through a Dio crowd. Yeah, in LA, it, it was it was completely ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, those people aren't going to move out of your way. Oh no, no. <laughs> they don't lose their place. Yeah, <laughs> no. by somebody because they, they're in the perfect spot. That's where they look good, right there. I, you can't exactly. make me move. Perfect lighting there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> mostly the mostly the uh, the Dio crowds were pretty friendly to us after about the second song mm -hmm. um, but there were nights um, in the first song in the second song when we had to dodge some things though that did happen yeah um, we, we, we did we did wear some some beer uh, in our face and on our clothing and our guitars um, Cleveland. Cleveland was particularly awesome for that. <laughs> I remember the, 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 the most, I, I thought that the, the crowds are really great. Um, whether it was, you know, because we played some very um, venue sizes. We played some um, smaller clubs that maybe sat 500 to 1,000 people, and we played in larger, you know, theaters that sat maybe three to 5,000. We played a few festivals, too, and the crowds were were really cool. Definitely, you know, as we continued to play, you know, um, through the set, it went really well, and they were really, they, they had a good response. But in Billings, Montana, we played at a, probably the smallest club we played at, and there were a bunch of bikers, and they sat right at the front of of the stage. And when we were playing, after a while, some some people in the audience started to stand up, and because uh, they liked it, and the bikers made them sit back down because nobody was going to stand up for anybody except Ronnie. <laughs> Good wow. times. Good times. That's, dedicated, that's a dedicated fan following right now. There. Now, I, I do know that, like, uh, for, for, for especially the first um, couple weeks of the tour, um, I would always stand kind of off stage when Ronnie would take the stage and, and I would try to sing with him just through the song. I knew the song, so I was just trying, how, how long can I keep up with mm -hmm. this with this uh, madman, and I would never make it past the third song, and and my voice would be gone. <laughs> it's funny we were talking to Scott Warren like earlier on tonight, and he said Ronnie never warmed up at all. He used to just go out there and belt out the songs. Yeah, incredible, really incredible to how he could do that. When you guys, you know, when you were on the road with, with Ronnie, did he end up listening to you guys some nights and maybe giving you some advice or feedback or anything? He, he was, yeah, he, he was very supportive. Um, he had listened uh, to some of our music before um, he agreed to take us on the tour. And, and he did, um, at one point he was talking to us about, um, I told him how much I liked Heaven and Hell. And, and we were talking about, uh, for a Dio tribute album, um, about Atomic Opera covering Heaven and Hell for that record. He he said that he liked us a lot, and he was very complimentary to us. Um, we we got into a discussion one time about uh, 
about what the best advice for for young up and coming um, musicians is, and uh, and and he said a lot of really kind and encouraging things that that basically boiled down to, uh, you know, don't don't give up if you're a if if somebody basically what is, what was it he said you know basically uh, there there's no guarantee that you're going to make it unless you give up then is a guarantee that you won't. Mm-hmm. Now the other guys in the band, um, did you socialize with them a lot as well on the tour? Probably more than with Ronnie. Any anyone in particular? Uh, Tracy was particularly friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he talked to us a lot. I think he felt a little bit more outsider in that group. He was the new guy in that group. Mm-hmm. I think I think Jeff. He's a family guy, so I think he was a little detached, probably for that reason. Yeah. I think. Who was the keyboard player? Scott Warren. Scott Warren, yeah, mm-hmm. they can play backstage. I always thought that was a little strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was all glammed out, and he had the cool clothes on, and his hair looked perfect, and he was into it. Yeah, he, he was moved around. Right? He was like, but and he was rocking it. But he was standing right next to us, but off stage. You okay. Know? And what about Vinny? Did you talk to Vinny much? Uh, I don't remember talking to him. Okay. Yeah, he's a legend. You don't talk to a legend. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So when. When when they played so much of the new album, did you ever go out into the crowd and see what the reaction was to the Because they played like six or seven tracks from the new album. Did did that stuff go over well with the crowd, or did they just want to hear all the old stuff? Oh, they they wanted to hear the stuff they were familiar with. That that's always the way it goes. Yeah. But those are some great tracks. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. that opening track, um, that, it's just it's just cool.
and you, I mean, they, they definitely had very positive response, lots of cheering for, for the new material. And, but you know, it ramped up when they played the old favorites. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it was you didn't get the vibe. Hey, just, you know, start playing the old stuff and, and quit playing that. Well, they led with the new stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't like, um, okay, we're going to hit you with all of our, you know, big hits. And now here's something from yeah. the new record so you can take a bathroom break. I mean, that's not <laughs> what they did. Yeah. They led with a bunch of new tracks. And then they said, okay, you've been kind. Now we'll play Man in the Silver Mountain. Here we go. So did you guys do the whole U.S. leg with them? It seems like it. <laughs> well, we started, we, we met them in Milwaukee at a, at a festival in Milwaukee uh, in July. And uh, I think the early part of July. And then um, I know we took a break for a couple of weeks. Um, we ended out in, in L.A., I think. And then, we, um, and, we, and then we met up with them again in San Jose. And that was the longer leg of the tour. And that ended probably late September, I'm thinking. And that, that started in August and went for probably two months, close to two months. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think that one ended in Phoenix, or somewhere in Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Be hot. Uh, this is why I had Jonathan show up. <laughs> and I saw my itinerary somewhere. Yeah. So, is there any particular show that stands out for you guys that you played, and maybe a show that stood out for you that Dio played? Well, yeah, because the first night we, the first, the very first time we played with him was at that festival in Milwaukee, and it was actually our first show after releasing our record. So mm-hmm. we played a bunch of little clubs in Houston. We played a couple times in New York. We got a record deal. We went in the studio. We made a record, and now this is our first show. Here we go, and it's fifty thousand people. Wow, it's crazy. It's a big, you know, festival show, and it's like. Guys, this is our new life. <laughs> well, we never did that again. That, that, that was our very first show was the only time we ever did something like that. Everything else was, you know, two to four or five thousand people, which was also awesome. But, you know, you kind of start big and, yeah. you know. Yeah. And who else was on that bill? Can you remember? Well, it was a festival. So it was, you Stone know. Stone Table Pilots were at that. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was some big, some big radio um I don't know. It's the city of festivals, so who knows what festival it was? <laughs> oh man, yeah. And as far as was there a standout Dio show on that tour that you guys remember? Uh, the show probably sticks out for to me was we did a show in Oklahoma. I think it was Oklahoma City, and it was just a great venue, and um, the stage was great, the the sound was great, the audience was great, and I I, I think it was Oklahoma City. Mm, okay. So with with you guys, like you know, first time out on a major tour, did uh, did the guys do any kind of uh, initiation on you guys at all to to break you in at all? Or there, there was there wasn't that kind of stuff. But we were touring in my Ford van, and they were touring in uh, a bus. So they you know they had a driver, and they would do their show, and we'd pull out you know at two three a.m. and we would drive to the next city, and they would all go to sleep, and we would follow in my van. So. That that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I, think felt, I think they felt like they felt bad for us, and they thought we don't need to mess with these guys anymore. They're, what they're doing is bad enough. Yeah, that's that's a long ass tour to be doing in a Ford van. Yeah. Yes, you did, man. I put four hundred thousand miles on that van. Wow. <laughs> and the whole time you're probably just crossing your fingers, like, don't break down, please. Oh no, don't. it broke down all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably every time it was really hot or really cold, right? 
and we had to turn the air conditioner off. You know, I mean, good good times. Well, we when we hit, well, they broke down after the first show. We had to get, uh, we had to leave that in Milwaukee. We didn't make it to the second show. Oh. I'm, I'm so thankful that they didn't just kick us off the tour right then. Right. Uh, we had to rent a Pontiac Lumina, which is basically a glorified station wagon, uh-huh. to, to haul a, a trailer full of gear and everything through the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we had that, that thing in the, the, the red, the, the temperature gauge was in the red going through the Rocky Mountains. It was not a good scene. We also installed a hitch on it. I think yeah. I think the statute of limitations is worn on this, so it's safe, safe to we can talk about that, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we 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 uh, we went we had, we put a, a hitch on that rental van. Oh, man. You get the t-shirts printed up. I survived the Strange Highways tour. That's <laughs> literally it was, they were strange highways. Yeah. <laughs> so, what tour did you go on next after you got after Dio? Mm-hmm. Uh, we went on the. We went on our own tour. We, we did our own tour. We headlined a tour. Yeah. It was the Freeze Your Ass Off tour. Right. Um, <laughs> we were all from Texas. Well, okay, I shouldn't say that. Frank is from Illinois, so he was used to it. But the rest of us grew up in Texas, and, and um, we, we toured the mostly the Midwest and the Northeast in December, and we went back out in February because we hadn't had enough in December. And uh, I've never been so cold in my life. Yeah. <laughs> no one's used to five degrees. And we we gotten used <laughs> We've gotten used to, and that's the high. We had, we've gotten used to these great crowds with Dio, um, large, um, for the most part, really you know, positive responses and everything. And um, But you can count on a, full houses every night, mm-hmm. whatever venue you were, you were playing in. And um, we went out on our own, and uh, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. so when you played the Northeast, did you play Boston? We didn't. No? No. They, well, we wanted to. But it didn't get booked. Oh, okay. The most exciting night on our, our on our self tour was, I think, Philadelphia. Was it Philadelphia? Jonathan's the one that's going to remember the city. But, but we pulled in and and knocked on the door of the venue. That was Cleveland. Oh, it was Cl- no Cleveland. Yeah. It was the second time we played. Oh, it was Cleveland. Cleveland. It was the second time we played. Yeah. The first time I got a beer thrown in my face, <laughs> and the second time um, the, the owner of the club opens up the door and says, "Are you the band that's supposed to be playing here tonight?" Yeah, we're not open on Tuesdays. So here's <laughs> five hundred bucks. Get out of here. Wait, did he just? Yeah, he he, yeah, he, he, just he, he gave us some spaghetti. Yeah, and uh, told us not to unpack our our van, not not set up our gear. Gave us our five hundred bucks, and that was that. Yeah. Wow. Wow, at least you, I mean, <laughs> at least you got paid something, yeah. right? Those 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 are those, those gigs are hard to get right there. The ones where you don't have to play. Yeah, they're not much fun though. No, no, they can be kind of a letdown. I know I had one gig one time where we were supposed to play the channel, and uh, we my guitarist went down early for whatever god reason it was, and we're all packing up, getting everything all set, ready to go. And he calls, he's like, "Don't come down," and it's like, "Well, why?" Well, they turned it into a strip bar. <laughs> and they didn't tell us like it's like one of the was like one of the major clubs in Boston and they turned into a strip bar and the booking agent never called us so they paid, mm-hmm. they paid him in dollar bills <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they paid him slowly <laughs> yeah we played in a club like that it was on Tuesdays and Thursdays it was a music venue uh-huh. and on Wednesdays and Fridays it was a strip club oh yeah oh, we played on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, Tuesday <laughs> There's a lot of them out there like that too. It's, yeah, it's it's weird. weird you should have you should have seen Frank interact during the set with the with the pole. It was exciting. 
Just imagine it. Take a moment. Just take a moment. <laughs> All right, I'm good now. All right. <laughs> you know how they say you can't unsee, now I can't unthink. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. That's yeah. why this is not a video set. <laughs> We've always been a provocative band. So. I'm kind of surprised, though, that you know, when you guys did go out on your own, that you didn't, you didn't get more support from people. Because, I mean, definitely you guys had just a killer sound going and stuff. Well, it's we, just... we had some good cities, too. We're just telling you the funny ones. I mean, there were, there were plenty of places we showed up, and there was a, a good room full of people, and we had a great time all over yeah um and uh, uh see the, the the bad thing that happened to us was that the our 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 record label which was part of warner but it was a little part of warner um it got shut down while we were on the road and they didn't bother telling us so that, that was that was one of our problems is that uh basically we're on the road and we haven't had any support for a few weeks before we find out that we're also unemployed. Yeah, and I think Warner used to be famous for that too, of like picking up these small record companies, and then after, you know, six or seven months, going, nah, screw them, and then and dropping them. Yep. So, so every our our entire roster got dropped. Um, we we were actually the only album that got released on the Collision Arts label. Wow. So good for us. You know, we got we got we got to get one record out there. Yeah, That's true. It's, it's sucky though when you get stuff like that and you don't you don't know about what's going on and stuff. That just sucks, definitely. One of the most bizarre days that I ever lived was uh, going to the uh, the Warner Brothers offices in New York City and hanging out with the record executives. And they were sitting in a small office that was piled, you know, two feet deep the entire tape, the entire desk with uh, demos, CDs, and a lot of cassettes still. Um, but demos of bands, and and there were just four or five guys just sitting around the room, and they would put in someone's demo that finally made it to this desk. You don't understand the the thrill that I mean, it finally made it to the desk of somebody at Warner Brothers in New York City, and they'd put the CD in. They'd all be looking at each other, just kind of scanning around the room, and it would play for ten seconds, fifteen seconds, until somebody would say. Oh, that just sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins. And then they would take it out and chunk it. And that's that. That 15 seconds, that's how long that dream lasted. <laughs> so, so it's not 15 minutes, it's 15 seconds. That, so that, that was one of the most, uh, yeah, that, that's a demoralizing day. Oh, I can imagine. But, you know, they, they were like, you should feel good about this, Frank. I mean, you're sitting <laughs> here, you know, with the big dogs you're sitting in the, the rooms. Yeah, you're one of the lucky ones. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that was my CD last year, you know? Yeah. All, all the blood and sweat and tears you put into it, and it gets 15 seconds. Yeah, and they're all thinking, okay, but the best track's the third track. Let's make sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> we want to lead up the best. <laughs> Just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. I know. And then you figure, you know, you go back, and you probably half those people are pretty much had no clue about music to begin with either. They just kind of looking for whatever the that real current flavor was and like we need to get another band just like that band except the guy that picked us he knew he knew what he was doing i
<laughs> the guy, the guy that the guy that signed us had signed Bon Jovi, and then he signed Cinderella, and then he signed Pantera, and then he signed us, and then he didn't have a career. <laughs> we, we destroyed him. Wow. Where where is he now? <laughs> uh, uh, well, seriously, I think he makes infomercials for keyboard players. <laughs> Uh, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. That I, I, my theory is that's that's what um, that's what happens. These guys, they uh, you know, they claw their way into the record, the, the music industry. They sign a band, and if the band does well, they get to sign another one. And if and, and it's really it's kind of like Russian roulette. You you get to play until you lose. Mm-hmm. Strike and you're out, I guess. In, unless you're lucky enough to get to that next level, where you're the person who's in charge of the A and R guys. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's, there's not a hell of a lot of A and R guys out there anymore either. It's I'll bet, I'll bet. Yeah, that's that's a tough gig, definitely. It's because they all lost in Russian roulette by now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's true. It is. It it can be real sucky, real sucky industry. I know, Frank, you're still pretty active in in music now, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I just finished a record. You did. You want to plug it? I, I I'll, sure I'll plug it. But you know, the the record's called Living Creatures Project. Um, I, I think it's awesome. You know, it's a it's a bunch of songs that uh, that they, they're very they're sort of hard rock, very classic sounding record. I wanted it to sound like the records that I grew up listening to. So you know, it has a it has a very you know, sort of vinyl 1970s hard rock feel. That, that, that's what I wanted this record to sound like. Mm-hmm. And, and so it does. And so it's just kind of this warm, hard rock record. And uh, they're all the songs that I've written in the last uh, 10 years while I've been working at a church. So they're, they're all songs that I've, I've performed in this church, but they're also all kind of classic rock, hard rock songs. So, mm-hmm. cool. you know, it's, it's a very specific niche. I'm yeah. sure it's just going to be big. <laughs> well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of people that are looking back at that, you know, the 70s hard rock. There's even a lot of bands now that are coming out that are trying to emulate that sound. So, hey, you know, you never know. You might have stumbled into something, you know. I like it. And Jonathan's had a band for, for years uh, called The Flematics. Yep. Ten years. Yep. Uh, and we, we've just finished our third album. And um, it's going to be coming to an internet site near you very shortly. It should be in the, within the next month or so. But we never bothered to break up Atomic Opera, and we've actually been talking about uh, uh, doing something. Next, uh, 2014 will be the 20th anniversary of For Mad Men Only, and so we thought, hey, what the heck, let's, uh, let's do something next year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we will, and it'll be fun for us and for any of the fans that want to uh, pay attention. And I actually do get contacted pretty often um, Weekly, at least, by people that uh, it's like, man, you got, are you guys ever going to do something again? So there, there's a good, you know, 250 people out there. That <laughs> now, <laughs> did, did you guys ever get a chance to play in Europe? You know, that that's one of the tragedies. Yeah. We got, we, um, our, our record was scheduled to release in Europe right after they uh, they they axed. Um, I'm trying not to say his name, but after, right after they axed the president of Collision Arts, so they did a they did a con- contractual obligation release in Europe. So they they had to do a minimal, and so they did that. But it never got any 
Um, yeah, it never, it never got any energy at all in Europe. Yeah, because I got to be honest, like I'm from Ireland and I'd never really heard of you guys until I started researching the strange highways thing. Well, I have two Irish fans <laughs> and I keep in touch with them. Yeah, so. and what I did was I went on YouTube and you'd posted some of the, the videos and I was well impressed. Um, I'm, I'm a huge King's X fan. Oh, right on. And um, so we, we, we actually spoke to Jerry Gaskell about four or five weeks ago. And, um, you know, great guy. But, like, I, I love King's X. I think their first four albums are classics. Absolutely. And um, I know you had Sam Taylor produced your album. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I, you know, I, I love that sound that he gets with the, the crunchy guitars and, and all the harmonies. So when, when I put on some of your videos, I was like, wow, why did I never hear of these guys? You know, yeah. I was blown. I was blown away. I thought it was fantastic. So I'll have to. I'll, I'm de I, like I've ordered your album. So you know your album. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting them. You know. Cool. Well, you know, the, the, sometimes you think about what was the one big regret in, in your life, and 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 I do. I have a moment that's attached to Atomic Opera that is a big regret. Um, we had been dropped from our label. We came back home to Texas. And I get a call at my house from Irving Azoff. Irving Azoff calls Frank Hart at his house in Houston, Texas. And, and I answer the phone, and it's his secretary. He says, hey, I have Irving Azoff on the line. Would you, would you talk to him? Of course. Um, and uh, he said, Frank, I like the first Atomic Opera album a lot. I'd like to do two more records with you on Giant Records, um, but you're going to have to lose Sam Taylor. I, I, won't, I won't work with him. Um, if you if you lose him, if you drop him, we'll do two more records. Otherwise, that's the deal. Take it or leave it. And I thought I thought I was doing the right thing by saying, you know, Sam's the one who got us where we are. He produced our records. He was our friend. He was our mentor. He has, he's the one who had gotten us the deal with uh, with uh, you know the Warner Brothers company. And so I, I told him that I didn't think that was the right thing to do. And he said, Hey, fair enough. You know, I admire a man with convictions. And I. I, I wish I would have handled that differently. <laughs> <laughs> did, he, did, did Irving give a reason why he didn't want Sam involved? Uh, no, he didn't say a specific reason. Okay. But, you know, I, I'm sure it was just, you know, Sam has a, has a reputation of being um, an interesting person to work with. <laughs> okay. We enjoyed working with him. Mm -hmm. he, he was great for us. Okay. Um, I, I did, right after that call, I thought, you know, here's how, what I should have said. What I should have said, I should have said, Yes, of course we'll do the next two records. And I should have gone to Sam and said, dude, I know you're going to be pissed about this, but one day we will work together again, okay? So this On was... the fourth record. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I would have done that, but uh, the, the truth is Sam had, uh, he had run his course and he wasn't able to do anything for us after that. He did try, but, uh, you know, when people like Irving Azoff are saying they don't want to work with you... Um, it's probably it's probably not a good sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, and, and I, I think definitely would have loved to hear you know more stuff too. So next week the Eagles got back together, <laughs> and uh, then he didn't return my call. He wouldn't return my call. <laughs> That's true, by the way. It's all true. Everything. Okay, so you could have prevented that too. So I know I couldn't have prevented that. I could have gotten in right before. That would have been nice. Come on. You would have taken. He would, have, but he would have taken the whole eye off the ball with the Eagles thing. I've been like, all right, we've got this atomic opera thing going again. This is good. Let's just stick with it. See, but no. Now we had something. He's like, oh, I got time now. I guess I'll just let the Eagles thing happen. So 
Yeah. Well, we, we were we, we were connected with Giant Records, um, sort of. Uh, so when we were out there, you know, we toured their offices and we saw, you know, a bunch of the albums that they were releasing at that time. So we could have been another one of them bands that I can't remember their name. <laughs> yeah, just, or, it, or some of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's just kind of a bummer. I mean, the, you know, another, another band we've had on is uh, we've had um, Vic from Shock Paris on before. And it was you know, another one of these bands that just had a really awesome sound and a lot of potential. And then it was kind of like, where do they go? And it's like, that's, I kind of feel the same thing about you guys where I listen to this music and it's like, God, I just wanted more of it. And, and then you guys were, you know, not really making albums anymore. It was just kind of a, kind of a downer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Tommy Gubber does have three other albums. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that were produced after the, one of them was produced by Sam and then two of them were produced by me. They're out there for people. So you hear that guys go buy them. So, right on. There you go. Now it's just, it's kind of song, guys. Your sales are going to just tick right up now. <laughs> They're going to double. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, Richie's already got you halfway there. He's already, That's you know. Right. Yeah. Richie, order another one and we can I make know. it come true. I'm well impressed. Our <laughs> Irish fan base has increased by 50%. <laughs> Jonathan and I have always wanted to go to Ireland. Yes. Yeah. Atomic Opera did go to Japan. Okay, how did you find that? Japan is actually the place we sold the most records. <laughs> it doesn't have to make sense. But, <laughs> but uh, my understanding is we sold um, nearly 20,000 albums in, in Japan. Okay. It doesn't have to make any sense, but that's the place that... Uh, I mean, people were standing outside the room where we were being interviewed on national television, screaming the names of songs off the first record. Wow, it's it's funny because we were just we had just been talking to uh, to Duck Aldrich a few weeks back, and of course, you know he just released all of the Burning Rain stuff that was released only in Japan, and it all got re-released now everywhere. And Richie and I were kind of going through like, what is this whole thing with the with the Japanese market and these bands that are just have this immense success there, you know, and just really make that whole big in Japan come true. So it's it's kind of cool to hear you kind of talk about the same thing we just recently were talking about yeah it's it, it it defies any kind of logic i like to think that the japanese are truly recognized genius that's what it is <laughs> now did um there's a tradition over there that the, the people there give the bands gifts did you get any of that oh uh, yeah so there, there's a um so you're saying like when you're in japan did you get some gifts yeah oh yeah yeah every, every single person that you meet um that you're introduced to will give you a gift and and you're warned to make sure you have things to give them back. But you always have to make sure you give them something back that's not quite as nice as the thing they gave you. <laughs> Apparently it's an insult to give them something nicer than they give you. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. They made me eat raw fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that experience I've had before, and it's not, it's not a good one. <laughs> I don't know how people do it, seriously. Yeah, so you're so um, you're you're in a you're in a, a restaurant and it's like oh this is cool look it's like an aquarium theme you know there's there's tanks everywhere with all these exotic fit wait no though that's just where they keep the food <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no stove there's no yeah. place to cook it the only thing between that ugly fish and my plate is a sharp knife that's I, it I don't see a frying pan anywhere we're out of here. <laughs> And I'm sure the whole time you're thinking, all right, we're from Texas. Where's the brisket? We don't want the fish. Where's the brisket? Yeah, a couple a couple of funny things about that. One was we were um, 
we were one of the places we played was this place called Kay's Dream, and it's a it's a famous rock club in Tokyo. I mean, King's X has played there, and a bunch of my other friends have played there. Um, and uh, his name is Koichi. It's Kay's Dream. So we go there, and and it's seriously, it's like neon freaking Tokyo, and it's just amazing. And the streetlights talk to you, and it's crazy. And then you you show up at Kay's Dream, and you're expecting it to just be you know glorious and glamorous and and you know just you know lights and and fury and you go down the the this long staircase that's all painted black and it's all concrete and you get to the bottom and you open the door and it's a concrete floor that's painted black with cigarette butts all over it and there's like crappy posters on all the walls and there's a little stage over in the corner and there's a bar and the bar only serves Budweiser, and it's like, this place is a dump. It's a freaking <laughs> dump. And then you notice that they have all state-of-the-art digital equipment and lights, and it's like, they have money. They just don't spend money. And then you get the joke. This is an American rock club. <laughs> That's what this is. This is an American rock club. They made this place look like crap, because that's what American rock clubs are. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it is an amazing market over there. I got a uh, a guy that uh, I'd worked with his band years back, and uh, after he graduated college, he went over and he had been dating a Japanese girl, so he lives over in Japan now. And he actually, I mean, the music scene's still so popular over there that he actually plays in three different metal bands besides his regular day job, and basically gigs almost every single night. Which I just can't imagine a person here in the states being able to do the same thing. Yeah. Not not metal. No, not not if you want to get paid. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he's he's making decent money off it, and it's just, every time he talks to me about it, I'm just like, I just can't believe that you know, it just even when they had the earthquakes there, he still had two gigs that night. It was like you're kidding me. It's like nope, nope, we did. And I'm like, it's just insane. I mean, hey, it's a good scene, I guess. If you're you know, you're young, willing to move over there and do whatever you need to do, uh, so it's worked out for him. But uh, it's just, you know, sitting here in, in North America, it's just hard to, to kind of get that in my head that there's still a scene like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other crazy experience that we had uh, over there was we went into this office building and we went up to like the 80th floor and um, we're being led. You know, there's a guy that's taking us everywhere. And so we go up the elevator to like floor 80 of this 110 story building and um, walking down this nondescript hallway like we're in the Matrix, and then we come to a wooden door, a wooden door. Uh, and, and you open up this wooden door, and now you are in an ice house from Conroe, Texas. It, it's, it's all wood on the walls. They're playing Texas Swing in the corner. There's Lone Star beer, neon lights on the walls. Because <laughs> we were from Texas, and <laughs> you must want to see this. Yeah, so they're like line dancing. They're all dressed in <laughs> swing clothing, and and the band is 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 really good. And they all they play all like Bob Wills music, um, and and like old country. Um, and none of them actually spoke English, but they sang in English phonetically all night long. And uh, it was it was it was surreal. <laughs> So you woke up the next morning, like, did that really happen? Like, you're asking everybody, each other, did we really go to this place with the Lone Star signs? And everyone's going, yeah, and like, oh, okay. The Twilight Zone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it wasn't there the next morning. They also had us sit in and do a set on their gear. 
We played an atomic opera set on their PV gear. <laughs> oh man. Yep. Uh, so it was probably like what, what, like PV Classic 30s or something they were using. Yeah, that was all. It was like all the yes, it was all those amps that I had when I was 15. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> tough crowd. Was it a tough crowd? You took the little uh, PV sign off the front because that would that would fool people. You know, <laughs> they screw the logo. You cross your finger and they, you know, maybe they'll think I've got a Fender Tweed amp and not a PV. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it looks like that it's cool. I'm cool. It's not PV. What? <laughs> the only difference is when the screw started to come out. Because that's the always thing I always remember about PV is that if you played them, like, really loud, slowly some of the screws would start coming out. So it was always keeping a screwdriver to tighten everything back up after every gig. But not too tight, because you want to get that warm buzz. <laughs> Justice! Going back to Ronnie and the Strange Highways tour and stuff, any other good stories you remember at all from that tour? Dude, sure. Um, they invited us on their bus just to hang out, and uh, there, there was one guy on their crew that was particularly fond of Jägermeister, <laughs> and he had his own bottle of Jägermeister, but he also had other bottles that he would share with uh, with others. So uh, I think that was the night when I learned I liked Jägermeister. <laughs> That's nice. Um, but yeah, he, we, we were just we were sitting on the bus, and he was telling war stories and. Just kind of gathering us around and, you know, just just having fun, just having a warm time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said you saw him at a mall one time. I don't think I was with you. I, Jonas and I were in a mall one time. We saw him, too, so apparently he just liked to go to the mall. The mall is kind of like finding home again when you're on it, the road. It is. It is. It's sad, but it is. I mean, you end up having at least, you know, eight or nine stores you remember, like, from your local mall. So you're kind of like, yeah, okay, I'm kind of grounded here. Exactly. Yeah, you feel you feel like okay, I I, I do. I, I have a home somewhere. Mm. 
And you asked us before if there was if there was an initiation. They didn't do that, but they did. Uh, they did send us off uh, the last night of the tour, um, uh, and it was uh, it was pretty tame. And it was I think it was mostly the uh, the, the crew, but they 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 did uh, do some stuff to us during our. I think it was our last song of the set. I think there was some spraying of silly string during the set. There was, wasn't there? Yes, yes. All right. I still have silly string on that pedal board. <laughs> yeah, we, we spoke to um, Jerry Best a while back, and he, he was playing with Freak of Nature on the European leg of the tour, and he said one of the last nights of the tour over there when Dio came out and sang Jesus, Mary, and the Holy Ghost, the Freak of Nature guys dressed up as Jesus, Mary, and the Holy Ghost and walked across the stage, and he said it's the only time they saw Ronnie actually lose it. In the set, <laughs> in a good way or a bad way, <laughs> and no, he, he laughed about it afterwards. But it was like that all the band just started cracking up. That's great. So and just you didn't pull any pranks on on the Dio guys at all. We wouldn't have dared. <laughs> no, nope. wouldn't have occurred to us. Okay, <laughs> we were just glad to make it to the to the the city on time mm-hmm. okay. with a band. Yeah. yeah, it was nice to be able to pull into the parking lot each time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Made it, yes. <laughs> I mean, it definitely sounds like it was a, a, a long ass tour for you guys, though. Definitely driving the van. That's 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 a long road. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. No complaints. Uh, a couple of things I remember that not necessarily about Ronnie per se, but about the tour. I, I remember the the sound guy. Um, whenever he was setting everything up, he would always play. Um, uh, what was the band? The uh, the girls don't seem to care. Yeah, girls don't seem to care. Um, Not Boss Kegs. No. It's the other band like that. Yeah. We're, you're supposed to remember everything. I know. And you remember I had, your own story. And I had a, <laughs> but he played this. He played, <laughs> he, played, he played the same. Steely Dan. Steely Dan. He played the same Steely Dan album at every venue. I guess that was his way to test out the system. Mm-hmm. That was his song. And I never want to hear the girls don't seem to care again. The guitar the tech. First song on that album. The guitar tech always played Ender Sandman. Remember that? Uh, yeah. He doesn't remember it. You got this? <laughs> and, on record. And the music after our set, before Dio's set, was the Aerosmith album that had just come out at the time. Uh, get a Grip. Get a Grip, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, and that was the that was the first album that he would that, that, that every night after we would play was that album. Nice, wow! I would I figure at least at least the sound guy was playing a song that had some kind of dynamics to it, so we could kind of check the spectrum. So I mean, I'm sure at least that much. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah, a lot of a lot of sound guys like that Steely Dan tune for that reason, <laughs> and that reason alone. <laughs> no, you know, there had to be a reason, right? Yeah, it's been cool. I'm glad Richie hooked us up, and um, you know, you guys definitely, definitely fun to talk to. You know, hope to have you back on the show again sometime. It'd be it'd be great to have you come back on. But um, I definitely appreciate you guys taking you know an hour out of your lives to talk to a couple of schmucks from Massachusetts and about, uh, about a tour that's twenty years old. <laughs> twenty years old. That's right. <laughs> now, hopefully, you know, in talking that some people that maybe have never heard of Atomic Opera will kind of get interested in. Uh, and want to go check you guys out, and maybe we'll even triple your sales in Ireland. Oh, oh man! Whoa! I've got friends there. You're in good. You're okay, lads. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> well, we're thankful to talk about it. It was one of the funnest experiences I've ever had in my life. So that's um, great. That's but. great. Well, like I said, thanks again, guys. We we definitely we really appreciate you guys coming on and talking to us. I thought Scott one. I thought you had one question you wanted to ask him. 
I do? Yeah. You said earlier on about some guitarist. I did? Yeah. Yeah. Remember? No, Jonathan was supposed to remember. Oh, that's right. He remembers everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 See, Richie remembered, but he didn't want to, like, remember for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to let you remember as well. <laughs> cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Good looking out for me. A lot of times when people are, like, doing research and stuff for you guys on the internet, or you always kind of get this weird thread. Was Jim Root ever involved with Atomic Opera? No, I don't know Jim Root, but I, I, I think I've answered that question before. Yeah. Was it, was it, did you ask me that question on Facebook or email or something? Nope. Nope. I've, I've, I've recently answered that question. Because it's huh. weird whenever you like whenever you look up like you guys or anything it, somewhere within the thread you start getting this these hits for like Jim Root and I'm like thinking I don't remember him ever being in the band and it's not like you guys were around for th- is it, is it the, the fabulous um, transvestite atomic atomic opera did he play with them I I, I don't know I'm, I'm I'm just I don't know who who that is and I don't know much about the other band I just know that. There was a another band that came out after us called Atomic Opera. Oh, okay, okay, maybe that's why. Yeah, no, Jim's Jim is uh, one of the guitar players in Slipknot. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. Okay, so that's why it was kind of like. Um, for one, I'm thinking he's not even like from Texas, so how would that one have worked out? And definitely, you know, you guys are closer around to my age, and it's kind of like he's younger than us too. And I was like, wasn't putting it together. So though, there we go. We can settle that one. That the the good atomic opera never contained Jim Root, so never did. Yeah, he, he's just trying to follow our coattails to fame. Shameless, you know. <laughs> cool. All right, I'm glad we cleared that one up. So, um, have yourselves a, a good night, and again, thanks for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem. Right. Thanks. It's been awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Okay, thanks. Going. All right.
All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, bring back memories listening to it. Uh, definitely. Yeah. A lot of memories. It's amazing because you're doing so many shows and, and so many interviews. Uh, um, you just, if you haven't heard some things in a while, you yeah. just kind of go, I forgot he said that. Yeah. I forgot he said that. And, oh, I should have asked that. And then you listen to it. Oh, actually, I did ask him that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just the way it goes yeah. over time. So, of course, you know, we're talking about bringing back, too. I will tell you guys that within this episode is the clue about who we talked to for that fabled interview we've never run. It's just for a fraction of a second mentioned that, in this episode. That was June last year. Yes. So, uh, anyways... Hope you guys enjoyed this one. We got one more left to go. Hopefully you enjoy that one as well before we round out this whole series on Strange Highways. And hope you guys have all enjoyed the trip. So uh, until next week, this is Scott. Richie. Saying have yourselves a good metal week. Follow us at focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com, and Twitter, and all that other good stuff. So until then, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant.